Hello, I'm Cass Feely, a historian at the University of Derby. Welcome to Global Derbyshire in 10 Objects, a series of 10 podcasts that examines not only Derbyshire's rich heritage as a global industrial powerhouse, but the heritage of, possibly, one of the UK's most overlooked areas. These podcasts are brought to you by the University of Derby for the Being Human Festival 2020. Being Human is the UK's only national festival of the humanities and is a celebration of humanities research through public engagement. As a festival hub, the University of Derby's programme is rooted in partnerships with museums, archives and libraries across the county to explore this year's festival theme of New Worlds. In these programmes, I'll be meeting with expert curators, archivists, historians and artists to present fascinating stories about 10 diverse objects and artefacts from the 19th, 20th and 21st centuries, each with their own place in the global history of Derbyshire. How might Derbyshire have played a role in the rise of Indian nationalism in the early 20th century? In this episode, we're looking at the career of Lord Curzon of Kettleston Hall and his role as a colonial administrator through some of his own writings. I'm here at the Local Studies and Family History Library in Derby and I'm here to talk to uh, Oliver Godsmark, who's from the University of Derby. Um, and we've got a book in front of us, Leaves from a Viceroy's Notebook and Other Papers. We've got it open at the front page and it really helpfully tells us here that it's written by Marques Curzon of Kedleston. Many people will know Kedleston from around the area. Kedleston Hall, of course, um, now run by the National Trust, is at the, at the outs- in the outskirts of Derby. You may have been and had a nice cream tea there at some point. We often don't really know much about the people who live there. Here we've got a photograph of Curzon. And I just wondered, Oliver, if you could just tell us a little bit about who Curzon was and what this book um, tells us about him. Curzon, as you've already said, was part of the Curzon family based at Caddleston Hall in Derbyshire. And he was a really important conservative politician at the start of the 20th century. Um, He held important roles in the war cabinet during the First World War, and then went on to serve as foreign secretary from 1919 to 1924. And the photograph in the front of the book actually um, is a nice portrait of him walking out of uh, a cabinet meeting, his last cabinet meeting. The book was actually published posthumously after Curzon's death in 1925, The following year, it's published in 1926 by uh, Macmillan and Company, and the local studies library has an original copy of this uh, book. So Curzon's often held up as an example par excellence of um, imperial zeal, I suppose. He, amongst um, the viceroys of India, um, he was a viceroy of India. The viceroy is the representative of the monarch in Britain, working in in part of the government of India and fulfilling in some ways a ceremonial role, but having some form of oversight over government of India policy within India at the time. And amongst the viceroys of India, Curzon's seen to embody, perhaps more than any other viceroy, 
a sense, I suppose, of British imperial superiority and British imperial destiny. And that's, I suppose, exemplified in terms of thinking about, I suppose, an insensitive interference in Indian affairs. And he also has a real liking for pomp and pageantry and ceremony. That's perhaps best illustrated by his involvement in the 10-day coronation Durbar in Delhi, um, which was organised by Curzon to celebrate the succession to the throne of Edward VII as British monarch, but also Emperor of India. Curzon serves as Viceroy between 1899 and 1905, um, also the last Viceroy of India to seriously attempt to expand British territorial interests and uh, areas under British control in Asia. So he wished, for example, to extend British authority into the Persian Gulf, into Tibet and into Afghanistan. And this was in part about shoring up British interests in response to what was perceived as the Russian threat in what's often been called the Great Game. During his time as Viceroy, he also witnessed a huge famine in India, where up to 4.5 million people died. And he was criticised at this time for his failure to go further in introducing effective relief measures. In and amongst what's often been characterised, I suppose, as a litany of failures uh, during his time in India, He's today best remembered uh, for his role in the partition of Bengal in 1905. And that was the decision to separate the Bengal presidency, um, where the heart of British imperial government in India was based in Calcutta, into two separate provinces, one called Eastern Bengal and Assam, and the other the remnants of Bengal as such. So he's really remembered for that. And I think the book provides us with some really interesting um, examples and illustrations of how um, his particular attitudes and mindset towards Indian society informed the decision to partition Bengal in 1905. Great, so we've got the book here, Leaves from uh, Viceroy's Notebook. Could you tell us a little bit more about the book itself and, and what, mm. what it tells us? Yeah, the, there's one particular essay that I want to focus on in particular, which was called The Sikh Way. And this is a really interesting anecdote within the book. The essay tells a story about four Sikh brothers living in the Punjab, and a region of India, who become involved in a feud with their maternal relatives over the question of land ownership in the village. Now, there are attempts by two older brothers who serve as uh, soldiers in the Indian army to resolve the dispute through negotiation, but that ultimately fails. And what happens instead is you end up with a pitched battle ensuing between the brothers and their maternal relatives in the village, in which the maternal relatives are completely wiped out. The story culminates with the two brothers then committing assisted suicide, each compelling another brother to shoot them dead. Now for Curzon, their decision to kill themselves was based upon, and I'm quoting from the essay now, the standards of personal or family honour and self-respect that prevail among the Sikh community. He writes, a Sikh will not only take life, but will freely give up his own life. Sooner than that, an ineffaceable stain should rest upon his family honour. And his story culminates with what Curzon sees as its mo the most remarkable feature, in that though these men had completely annihilated the whole of their maternal relatives, their conduct was in no sense reprobated by their fellow countrymen. 
On the contrary, the entire community looked upon the tragedy as having been conducted in a most seemly manner. Justice had in fact been served all round. So Curzon finishes this anecdote by noting how it will explain to some of the readers of the book why even in the 20th century it's not desirable to apply Western criteria to the behaviour of Eastern peoples. And I think that concluding sentence is particularly revealing. It creates a sense of a binary distinction between East and West, one which is based around the superior moral behaviours of Western peoples who accept the rule of law, which we've been hearing a lot about in the context of Brexit negotiations at the minute, and the inferior barbaric behaviour of Eastern peoples who take the law into their own hands to the extent that they even end up killing themselves to preserve their own honour. So why do you think it's important to the people of Derby to know about this Mm. story? And how does the book provide us with an opportunity to explore Derby's global connections? That story is really interesting, I think, because it helps us start to pick apart those big connections that Derby has with the wider world through Curzon, who obviously in this instance is a rather atypical individual, but is someone that's really, I think, interesting to kind of pick out the colonial and post-colonial kind of links between Derby and the wider world. That attitude, that mindset towards the way in which the Sikhs behaved in the story is reflective, I think, of a common set of assumptions that were prevalent amongst British colonial administrators at the end of the 19th and start of the 20th century. And in terms of thinking about the centrality of religion in the ordering of Indian society. Now, such ideas were based upon wider notions and assumptions about race that were prevalent in late Victorian and Edwardian Britain, in which Europeans are generally held to be enlightened and rational whereas Indians are superstitious and enthralled to archaic religious customs. Now, that has direct relevance and applicability to thinking about the partition of Bengal in 1905, which is also done on religious lines. In many ways, there's a political incentive behind the decision to partition. It's a way of undermining the political influence of um, Bengali Hindus who are some of the major figures in the anti-colonial nationalist movement in the early 20th century. But the decision to partition uh, in the way that they do on religious lines is really important here. It's in part informed by this sense that religion informs the behaviour of Indian society. And so what they do is they end up with creating uh, two new provinces uh, in Bengal, Eastern Bengal and Assam, which is a Muslim-majority province, and the remainder of Bengal, which is a Hindu-majority area. And this ignores the fact that Bengals, Hindus and Muslims had lived cheek by jowl in the same communities for centuries with relatively little antipathy. So that's really important, I think, in terms of um, flagging up how those ideas inform that. And in turn, that then allows us to think about partition in a bit more detail, too, in terms of the influences Curzon has later on. So, so obviously, when we, when we think about uh, partition on religious lines, we, we often go to think about the 1947 partition of India into India and Pakistan on religious lines. So you think there's an an influence there from the earlier partition of Bengal? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be a little bit careful. I think all historians would probably caution against drawing straightforward lines between something that happens in 1905 and then something in 1947. But I think we can definitely see some of the decision to partition 
as contributing towards the politi politicization of religious identities in India on the basis of Hindus on the one hand and Muslims on the other. And that has important implications for thinking about when we get to 1947. Curzon's decision has huge ramifications for 20th century Indian history, but also for 20th century global history. He uses some of these ideas about partition that he applies to Bengal when he then returns to Europe in, and in his role as foreign secretary in the post-war peace settlements after 1918. So when we go to Kedleston Hall, we shouldn't just be enjoying the lovely surroundings and having our cream tea. We should actually be thinking about global history. Yeah, sure. And I really encourage you to kind of pick out or think about those uh, linkages between Kedleston, which is seen as, I suppose, or represents this kind of emblem of Englishness, Within, in reality, actually, the really important colonial and imperial influences, and Indian influences in particular, upon its history. Thank you very much for that, Oliver. That's been really interesting. Thank you. Global Derbyshire in 10 Objects is presented by the University of Derby for the Being Human Festival 2020 and it was presented by me, Kath Feely, for the University of Derby. Being Human is the UK's only national festival of the humanities. A celebration of humanities research through public engagement, it is led by the School of Advanced Study at the University of London, the UK's national centre for the pursuit, support and promotion of research in the humanities, in partnership with the Arts and Humanities Research Council and the British Academy. For more information, visit beinghumanfestival.org. The Global Derbyshire in 10 Objects podcast series was produced by Roger Morford. <laughs>